peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. This we're going to call a special edition of Forward Progress because this gets into my roots. Jason Jackson here with Kirk Morrison. I come from um, a keyboard prodigy. That would be my mother's father, so my maternal grandfather. My mom and her sisters, if they were not raised by uh, their grandparents who had a clamp on the three of them, they would have been a singing group of note. Um, I'm not going to say... You know, that they've been the Supremes, but you know, who you never know. You never know. Well, my great grandparents were about <laughs> get your ass in church. That was it. Remember old folks that oh, yeah. the church, but cuss at you about it? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the next level of dynamic there. Uh, and then I, fortunately, uh, as a young child, was introduced to music. I went to the music school settlement, uh, which was my first preschool at Case Western. Reserve University, there's this old wives' tale that these musical talents jump a generation. It didn't. I had to work very hard. So I played the <laughs> piano. Uh, I was a saxophonist for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then the majority of my childhood and college years, a uh, percussionist, drummer for most. And so the fact that we are diving inside our music for this edition of Forward Progress and how black music shapes the community yeah. is special for me. I'm going to tell a story a little bit later that you're going to love um, when Layla Hathaway's on, because I think she might relate to it most uh, about a recent experience with music in our community. But I want to hear from you, Kirk. What, what, when you think about your childhood, when you think about how you're rearing your children now, such a different time, we don't right. touch our music as much anymore, right? We yeah. I mean, you can go to the vinyl store now. I get on over there. But yeah. there was a time where it was like, Man, I'm getting in this ridiculous music club where I get a bunch of CDs a month. Yeah. Or I'm going down to the store <laughs> on Music Tuesday because that's when yeah. all the songs come out. It's different now, isn't it? Yeah, I think you hit it on the, the best thing right there, Jason, was that you got to go out and get your little your, your whisk, right? Your little your, your dust buster. Because when I think about some of that music, Jason, let's be honest, we're talking about bust out your eight tracks, bust out your 45s, oh, bust out, bust out your, your, you your record player. What's Come on, man. Look, hey, when you, hey, you already know what time it is with me, okay? <laughs> so you know, for me, I thought it was an Atari, but it wasn't an Atari, right? But then I said, nah, this is an eight track. <laughs> it's, it's different, okay? Because my dad, you know, guy who kept all of that stuff. And so he said, oh, this is how we play the music, right? I remember we had the eight track in in, in the uh in the car, you know, in one of the old schools. And I'm saying, okay, dad, I see you. But when I think about some of that music. Um, and you mentioned some of the guests that we'll hear from today. Um, I, I think back to when I first heard some of those sounds. And look, 
I know the day and age that we live in currently, Jason, but, you know, we're in a, uh, you know, an Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you find, obviously the company that we work for, Sirius XM, where you can just turn it on to whatever channel you want and can hear whatever type of music you want to hear, whatever type of uh, decade, right, or, or genre or whatever time in your life, whatever fits you. So, you know, I'm giving the serious their, their shout out because for me, I keep it on kids bop because of my kids, right? And say they, they love the kids bop anyway. But I, I, I bring that up because for some reason, it just felt like hearing music on the record player, on that cassette player, on that eight track, it just hit different. Yeah. Right. Because it, it was a, a day and age where you didn't listen to stuff on in your headphones. Like what one person in the household listened to, everybody listened to. It wasn't just, all, okay, all right, dad, you want to see your music? I'm going to go over here and put my headphones on. No, 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 no. What was played by one was listened by all. And so no matter what, you could just feel the tones. You can feel the energy. You can feel whether it was a sad song, whether it was a love song, whether it was an uplifting song. You, you felt it throughout the house and the energy and those sounds. It just seems like it just was a little bit more clear. It just seemed like you felt it a little bit more. It wasn't as sorry for the people now, but it wasn't as digitized as some of the music that we may hear now. You felt the, the chords, you felt the, the, the energy, the love, the passion. And as a young kid, you just kept growing up and listening to it and hearing it. And that's why I feel like it's such a special you know, program for us today. But here, you know, people who kind of lived through that or heard it because of their, their parents that made that style of music. Layla Hathaway obviously created her own path uh, mm -hmm. after her father, Donnie. Um, Shane Mayfield, um, Curtis Mayfield's son, in music for a while doesn't, you know, make it a profession at this point. But right. what great conversations we're looking forward to uh, with them. When you think about the time we're in mm -hmm. and that the majority of this music is 50 if not 50 plus years old. Right. It's interesting when you think about Curtis Mayfield's cut, um, Love to the People. This was, the album itself was a political album. There's no place like America today. Um, but you think about all the things that were happening in the 70s uh, with the Nixon administration and what was going to be an energy issue. And some of that stuff, man, comes rolling through right now on point. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, it just... And, and me and my wife this you know, this past weekend, obviously Valentine's Day, we've had a little time together. And okay, okay, yeah, all right. Well, we got a chance to watch Judas and the Black Messiah, right? Wow, I haven't one seen of the, it yet. One, yeah, one of the great movies yeah. that's out right now currently to kind of get you back to, you know, you know, Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. And so now we're reliving that and we're hearing the soundtrack to that and the powerful music that was kind of uh, that you hear from that that tells a story. And you think about the music then that told a story then and it's uh -huh. you can play it right now press the play button and you feel as if the music is talking to you more now than for somebody who didn't hear it back then right now folks who are being you talk about and so much about on the show the awakening yeah. people are awake yeah. now like oh wow i didn't notice that this music existed how crazy is that a great feeling to know that it, it's still relevant but we're going through the same ish again mm. like think about the insane dichotomy of that yeah, that's the that, that's the hard part, um, because, you know, those people were kind of put in a box when they made those made that music. Some were vilified for it. Right. And they're like, why are they singing about this? 
And I would think now the reach to that music isn't, it's not just the African-American, the black community, the people of color community. I feel like now people are listening to the music of old and realizing, wow, like I had no idea this is what they meant. Like, I think people are seeing it from a different, you know, lens. I mean, uh, it's a different microscope now than maybe once before. It's amazing what we have in front of us today, a celebration of black music, R&B. These are really soul singers. There's a difference. (laughs) There's a difference. And and it's funny, I don't have a definition. I don't. Maybe we'll talk to Layla and Curtis, I mean, and Shay about that. It's it's, do you feel it, right? I mean, do you feel it? Are we talking about an experience uh, that that other people can relate to? Um, I try really hard not to get on today's musicians and I, I'm just excited that people are willing to be artists and get their stuff out there. Absolutely. And I just, I struggle with the musicality, but that's not everybody's fault. Sometimes it's the fact that music isn't in our schools um, and, and, yeah. and trying to overcome that challenge. Anyway, we'll take a quick break. It's forward progress. Yes. Our crossroads of race and sports bring us into the soundtrack of our lives. Uh, it's Layla Hathaway talking about her daddy, Donnie. When we come back here, on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. You want to talk about a absolute delight for Forward Progress. Usually this confluence of race and sport, we will pause the sports side of it and just deal with our soul. That, that is the best way for me to put it. Uh, because when I'm not locked in on NBA radio or the many platforms, Kirk, that we're on, I'm over on heart and soul. Okay, I'm a right. <laughs> R&B love song guy. Yes, okay? absolutely. Channel 48. Don't, don't make yeah. me spit it right now. <laughs> right? Don't get Michelle right on here right now. Right? All right. <laughs> but let's say hello to our next guest, Layla Hathaway. It is an absolute pleasure to have you and your five Grammys on mm. this program Aww. with us, madam. Thank you so much for having me. This is a, a beautiful time. Uh, and you know what? Before we even get into uh, the wonderful celebration that's happening, uh, in this time of year, 50 years in the making. Uh, what, what's the best terminology you use to talk about being uh, a star in your own right, but coming from artem in this industry? I saw a line in some of our research of legacy artists. I like that. That's a wonderful term. But, but like how do you refer to that, that second generation of excellence? I really don't. I mean, I'm, I am my father's daughter. I'm my mother's daughter. I'm a sister's sister. So... I just uh, I just go forward with myself and my name. I don't think of it in that way. I absolutely take um, my legacy very seriously. I aim to please and kill it every time in the name of my parents. So it's absolutely a part of who I am and a part of my um, discovery and evolution and all that. But I just I just think of myself as Layla. <laughs> well, Layla, one of the things I know about your father's music was that it was made at a time in which our country so much they needed it, right? And then you think about the impact that it had at that time and to now fast forward almost 50 years and it's almost as if that song could have been written right now because of the impact oh, yeah. or the songs that he made, the impact oh, that yeah. it's having right now. So when you listen to them or you hear them and people are starting to say, wow, I didn't know, or God, this is so beautiful. What comes to mind for you? I'm, I'm so excited that uh, part of the world is catching up with what we already have known all our lives growing up with that music. 
um, for my dad and for like a lot of artists, particularly artists of color, because our music and our style and our culture and our vernacular and our swagger, all of that influences culture all over the world. Um, so the fact that people are now listening to Donny Hathaway and thinking, oh, this is these songs sound like they were written uh, the day before the insurrection. Perhaps, you know what I'm saying? These songs are these songs are speaking to the time. And that is the zeitgeist, unfortunately, of this country, that there are people that are marginalized and oppressed and music and art always serve to tell those stories. And so I'm excited that people are finding it um, again. And I think he would just be um, just so honored that this music has lasted this long, you know? 2021, marking the 50th anniversary of Donny Hathaway's heart-wrenching classic, The Note Say. I'm willing to read that. Uh, <laughs> a song for you. Uh, for you, when you perform that song, uh, is it out of a desire, or is it because you fully know the audience wants you to? It's, I think it's a combination of both things. The first... 10 or 15 times I sang it, I really struggled because it's, it's just a sad song. It's one of those songs that um, for an artist, is it's not an easy song to sing if you really give yourself over to it. Uh, I found myself in the first few times singing it for people kind of detaching because if, mm -hmm. I, if I get in it and get sad at all, I'm going to start crying and then there's, there's a snot bubble and my throat closes up and I can't, there's nothing, nothing's going to happen. Um, now, intermission. When I'm, we need intermission right there. <laughs> yeah, we need a break. Let's take a soft five. Um, I think now when I perform that song, it is out of love for the people in the audience. I know that it's, I, I get that when you put on a Donny Hathaway record or sometimes when you come to see me, your desire is to be um, wrung out. Your desire is to be held and cradled and for somebody to let you cry, whatever that is, whatever is that expression um, to sing that song is so important for people. And as soon as they hear those notes kind of coming down that rainfall, just everything goes left, you know? So I know that people, it's, a, it's one of those songs that people need and to be able to communicate it to them is a gift. But the one thing I learned, though, Ms. Hathaway, is this, that your father had a song for almost every season, right? Whether it was That's my right. graduation, whether it was Christmas time, whether it's at a wedding, you know, closer I get to you, whether we can, you know, because look, song for you also was, was, was something that was also sung at funerals as well. And it was always funerals, something. Weddings. You know, weddings, everything. So I'm thinking yeah. that not only was it just, you know, certain people, it, the, the attachment is always going to be different. But what specific song that now when you do listen to it, it, it brings you back to a certain time, maybe in, in your childhood, maybe it was a time with your father. What other songs like that, that when you hear it brings you to a certain moment? You know, the, the whole point of music when I was growing up was to take you to those moments. Mm -hmm. Music is a transporter. And it, and for me, it still is that there are Commodore's records that I can put on and be on the highway on my way to homecoming. You know, right. <laughs> in, in 1978, there are records that I can I can smell my dorm room. Uh, there are records that I feel like I'm skating while the record is on. So for me, music has always been a very tactile sort of sensual experience. And all of the music 
um, for me personally that my father created. I, I get the feels, I get the, it's, it's just, it's more of a sense, a felt sense than a memory. But all of that music takes me to those places because the intent when they created it was to capture a moment. It's, it's done less now because people right now are kind of repeating the same word over and over again. And it's, it's, it's a kind of a different craft, which people are, I will call it a craft that they are practicing right now. But for that music of that time, all of that music takes you back. I mean, if you listen to SOS band, shake your pants, you know what I mean? It's, it's a relatively light song, but it's going to take me to Detroit the summer. I got to go to my cousin Bertie's house and spend the summer there and, you know, it's all, all music used to take you places and all of that music still has places that it takes me, all of it. An absolute delight to have Layla Hathaway with us here on Forward Progress. Jason Jackson here with Kirk Morrison. I want to share a story with you that just popped in my mind that is going to relate, I think, to you in what you were alluding to with the impact of black music. Uh, my wife works at the University of Miami. She works in the athletic department. On top of running track and field and cross country, she's in charge of the student athletes' human development. And Wonderful. one of the projects they had recently was to go to one of the shelters here in Paradise. Yes, we have those here too. Uh, and hand out some of the, the garb that, that's overrun from Adidas that they're not going to use. And they do this probably about once a quarter. She said, the way that the community knows that it, everything's set and it's time to come up and get your gear and get your food, they turn on the music. They don't put up oh, yeah. posters. They don't have to say what time something is. It's, it's just been set in that neighborhood, in that community. And when Sherelle told me that story, it paused me for a second because ever since we got here, we've used music to communicate. If we were trying to bypass our oppressors, if we were trying to uplift ourselves, uh, or just simply, hey, it's time to be. Right. Music, black music specifically does that, does it not? Absolutely, absolutely. And it, 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 it influences every other music. It is, like you said, a calling card, but it is, it is that genetic memory of like trying to communicate the drum. You know, it, there's so much to be said about how black music has evolved in this country to tell the story of black Americans and then to tell the story of Americans. Um, it's fascinating too, because without it, people think, Oh, I don't listen to much music. And I say, no, I suggest that you listen to music all day. You just don't know that it's music. It's mm -hmm. a doorbell. It's, you know, there are movies you're watching and you, you wouldn't cry if you didn't hear that one high string held on that note. It's the birds in the air. It's the refrigerator stopped humming at that frequency. And now you know that the refrigerator is not on. You know what I mean? It's little things like that, that crazy music people like me notice that people don't even understand it are, is going on the entire day. So it is, it's so important. And particularly for black people, for the music that we create, it's absolutely, they are salutations. They are greetings. They are warnings. They are congratulations. They are, it's mourning. It's actual mourning and grief. It's joy. It's the joy and the pain of that. You know, kind of staying along those lines though, Layla, where, where was your place or where is your place of free thinking of where you sit down and the words kind of come to you? Is it under the tree? Is it, is it out on a walk? Like where do you get you some of your inspiration as well to let some of those words flow? 
I, you know, I've been inspired in a lot of different situations. I wrote a song called Outrun the Sky in an airplane that I thought I was going to crash. I've written songs in, in the back of, wow. yeah, songs wow. in the back of Ubers. Um, I have unfortunately not been writing in the last few months. I have, I don't want to write about COVID. Um, so I have just been kind of taking a rest and a reset and then recharging. Um, but inspiration is a funny thing. It can come from anything, you know, a good meal. It can come from uh, uh, a good shopping day. It can be a beautiful desert sky. So I try to find it everywhere. It, it's, it has been hard to pick out as easily this year because COVID has kind of uh, done a number on folks and places and things. And I'm a very collaborative artist and we haven't really been able to get together with people. And so um, I've just been taking the time to recharge. Layla, I've been struggling this whole time to decide if I was going to ask you to tell me about the origin of, of you basically being able to harmonize with yourself. I'm sure you've told that story a million times, but I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a purveyor of uh, they have range and every time they post you uh, splitting it and making everybody fall apart, including your own band, by the way, who knows full well yeah. uh, your abilities yeah. there. Um, I can't, what's, what's, is there folklore on when you first did that or is there an actual I can tell you that when it happened, I was probably 13 or 14 years old and I just really? found that sound and I didn't know what to do with that sound. And that carries all the way up to 2013 when I'm doing that with Snarky Puppy. There were always times where I did it and I would show it to people and say, what can I, is that, is that a thing? Is this a thing that I can do this thing? And they'd be like, uh, is it a thing? It's cool, but is it a thing? I don't know if it's a thing. Then I did it on a John P. Key record and he kept it. And I thought that was really funny. So for that, for that Snarky Puppy video, we rehearsed the song once. And then the second time I went for it, and you can see if you watch that whole video, there's like five minutes of scatting and then that thing happens and it wasn't great. And then I went for it again and it happened right. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, he's 13 to then I had been working on it in some way in my head. And it happened at that moment. I got so lucky that everyone could see it happen when I was making it happen. So um, I don't know where it comes from. I spent a lot of time alone as a kid, just making <laughs> sounds. I'm, I'm still that person. Uh, you know, I just find sounds. Are those two different notes? Is that fair to say? Are those more yeah, better described as two different tones? I think they're tones. They're, there's definitely notes in there, which is how you hear harmony. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? If it's tones, notes, however you want to put it, there's a there's a difference. You hear the first one go this way and then the second one go that way and it follows the changes. So um, it's just a little interesting thing that my instrument can do. I mean, I've seen some incredible singers do some incredible things uh, with their instruments that I'm still trying to learn how to do. So that's just a little thing mine can do. Mm, I love that little thing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm still reminded of just of this Christmas, right? I, I'm I'm sorry, I can't I can't stop because there are certain movies as well, and I'm thinking about a rendition of uh, that Chris Brown did. Remember in the mm -hmm. movie? What movie was that? Was that? It's called This Christmas. It's it. This that's right. It was This Christmas. It was the same yeah. thing. And so, yeah. 
I'm thinking about just the influence, not only that you, but your father's music has had on so many other artists. Is there other artists that, that approach you to sample some more music uh, to kind of bring it even more to light, especially now with what we're celebrating here in 2021 with a song yeah. for you that more people will now be aware and say, I want to sample that track because I, I know that's yeah. what we tend to see in music today. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, a lot of clearance just come through. People say, oh, we want to use this for that. Or, um, the, the craziest thing is that this Christmas, uh, is like the 30 most pop, 30th most popular Christmas song. We just got that stat. It went back on the charts this year after we put the video out. And it has been covered by F. I mean, there are so many covers of this Christmas. There's Gloria Estefan, Destiny's Child, Chris Brown. Um, the Carpenters did it. I mean, there's so many people over the last 50 years that have covered the song. It's just amazing. In other languages, they're starting to do it now. So the fact that he wrote something that is a standard, um, I know he, I know that he meant to do that. That was what he wanted for that song. So I'm excited about that. I'm curious, uh, even aside from that, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you which one's your favorite cover. So I will <laughs> go on the other side and say, who are some of your favorite young artists that are, that are, I, I, I try to get slick and say that there's a massive difference between a soul singer and an R&B singer. Mm -hmm. Soul singers, I feel, I miss the R&B singer. So I feel sometimes that it's, it's almost gone, but I love when I hear someone who pauses me who pauses yeah. me and I feel like yeah. uh, that's my personal definition of a soul singer. Is anybody yeah. in that space right now that you like that's young and coming up? There's a lot of singers. I think, you know, I, I'm a Jasmine Sullivan fan. Um, I'm a Kiara Clark Sheard fan. She's a gospel singer, but super, super soulful. Um, I did a tour a couple of years ago and had people audition to open for me in the different places because I really wanted to showcase local talent. And I came across uh, so many great singers like that, Adam Ness, Tanina, there's so much happening. It's, it's the internet has made it all at once easier and harder to access all that stuff because you got to find it. But I am uh, constantly discovering new artists that I love. I love Bosco. I love Ash. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot out there. I'm really encouraged by what people are doing and how far back people are going to pull music forward. And Layla, look, last question for me is, you, you mentioned some of these artists, but when the time does come, when you finally pick that pen back up and you're in the back of that Uber or you may be on a flight, who knows? Careful on the plane. <laughs> Careful. Yes. Um, is there a, a type of direction you're thinking about going or trying or is it just something that's going to come to you naturally? I think it's, I'm hoping it's going to come to me naturally, but my vision is right now. I want to make like the blackest record possible. I really, I would love it. It's, I just really want to make like I want it. Just that is the title. Yes, and black. I just uh, I'm interested right now in calling on the ancestors and um, just really creating like the most soulful situation. It would be great if I could get like. D'Angelo and Michelle and Cello and Jasmine mm. Sullivan, uh, Questlove. And I mean, it would be great to assemble like the blackest musicians I know and make a record. Mm. Um, I'm really, I'm really interested in that experience right now. Okay. Now we're all salivating. 
now, now, we, now it has to be done in your time. But it must be done. Layla. Because the ahead. other day, look, the other day I saw something. I, I, I saw a, um, a Whitney Houston, Luther Vandross, Dion Warwick, Stevie Wonder little serenade a couple days ago. You know, when you're searching the internet, I'm like, man, see, yeah. I, I missed that. Like, I, I yeah. want more of that because we haven't seen that. So hopefully you can recreate that for me, please. I hope so. That's, that's all the food we grew up eating. And now we're just yeah. on fast food. And now mm. we want a meal. Popeye's chicken sandwich. Thank God. Oh, look. Right, I'm out. Now that's real salivating. Now, now we're doing, we, we went from metaphoric to actual. A Donnie Hathaway collection, a celebration of the fantastic classic, A Song for You, is uh, wonderful singing, producing, composing, musical daughter with her five Grammys of her own. Layla Hathaway with us here on Forward Practice. We thank you for the time. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely fantastic conversation with one legacy musician. And we go into another when we return, Kurt. We spend some time with one of the children from the great Curtis Mayfield. Superfly. All right. <laughs> yeah. His son, Shay Mayfield, joins us when we continue here on Forward Progress. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Forward Progress continues. It's Morrison, it's Jackson, and great to get to our guest now, Shay Mayfield, who is with us to talk about his father, Curtis Mayfield, uh, some fantastic musical dynamics in place to discuss in this, in this legacy of music. Uh, when we had uh, our, our previous guests on, um, Layla Hathaway, I asked her the same question. I'll give it to you. Uh, when you're working in this space and, and having uh, this, this awesome responsibility of keeping the legacy moving, keeping young people aware, old people aware of the impact, uh, is that something that is daunting or do over the years you just appreciate the fact that you have this place and responsibility? Well, yeah, at first it was quite daunting, uh, you know, because when you were, especially when you go back and me as an adult start looking at his work and the impact that he had when writing his songs and releasing these songs, and you realize that it's such a heavy, uh, uh, such a heavy weight that you're having to carry on and make sure that people are are, are still, you know, listening and are aware of this. It, it can be daunting in, in, in the beginning, but as the years went by, it's become much easier because you're you're familiar with, you know, his work, his life, and I've kind of, you know, indulged myself in his professional career over the past few years when, you know, I knew him just as a parent. That was just that's your father. So this has been a, it's been a, a learning experience for me, a very good learning experience in my life. Yeah, w within that learning experience though, and you start to not only listen to the words, hear the words and read them, like wh what kind of comes to your mind or what has gone through the mind when you sit down and think about at that place where your father was at that moment or what he was going through? Does that ever speak to you and talk to you and educate you more on who he was as a person? Yeah, absolutely. Because I know for him growing up, it was much different than, you know, the, the childhood that I had. And, you know, listening to his, his music and the lyrics, especially I like I like to wear headphones because it's a totally different experience for me. 
you know, you're listening to these lyrics like, man, this is deep. And then you, you got to look back at, at, at how he was, you know, raised and, and the environment that he grew up in. And even to us uh, as kids, he kind of went into a little bit of, of how he was teased just for being incredibly dark skinned and not only just by people of opposite races, but by his own race. He was teased, you know, so and it, it's a, it takes on a whole different, you know, uh, expression or, or, or meaning when you're, you're listening to and trying to put yourself in his shoes while listening to these lyrics that he wrote. And in the end, you just got to shake your head like, man, that's, that's some deep stuff, man. Jay Mayfield, the son of Curtis, with us here on Forward Progress. Um, I'm go down a path only because I can relate to it. My father died at 56, and I felt this weight of so many different things. You have more siblings than I do, but I felt like I'm taking over this this patriarchal role, like in my mid 30s. Yes, yeah. that was silly to try to do. <laughs> and then, you don't know enough, right? Uh, and my mother didn't need that type of help at that time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but. It, what, what's the best way that you filled that space of, of having that, that, that part of the blueprint not available for yourself? I mean, the best way that I filled the space was, uh, I mean, music. That's yeah. one of the things that, that him and I had in common uh, out of all my, my other siblings was we had the same taste in music. We both listened to classical music we both listened to jazz we both listened to soul we had very a lot of similarities and and we both love like live recordings one one of my favorite things is uh to do is is listening to some of his live recording especially the the curtis live album in new york city uh, at the bitter end where i mean it's such a because he's talking and he's singing and it's such a, a intimate setting uh, while he's singing these songs. And I mean, that, that always takes me back and, and kind of it, it fills that, that space and, and gives me like that sense uh, or reminder of how much he loved live music and how much I love it as well. So, you know, sometimes when you have music, and it kind of stands for that moment in time. And then we kind of move on and we move past it. And it's the next artist or the next song. And then obviously the generations move on. But to kind of think about at the time in which a lot of your father's music came out and the words that he was speaking to at the moment in time, especially for people who are black, African-American and the struggle mm -hmm. in which they go through. And I kind of mentioned this to you before, but you think about the time when he made those songs and yet if you play some of them right now today it is a way you told me this song was made how long ago 50 years yeah. ago you sure this wasn't made on tuesday in january 2021 like the music speaks more to where we're at right now currently as a country than maybe even 50 years ago when he first made some of the uh, uh songs and albums yeah exactly i mean unfortunately the the same climate that he had to experience back in in his time in the you know 60s and the 70s you know it, it's still here today even though it's it's maybe dressed up or got makeup on or something you know under all of that it's still you know that that foundation or or that same underlying uh, tone of of uh 
of, of what he had went through is still very uh, relevant. And even people that are, are my age or even younger that haven't heard his, his music and they, they'll come to me like, hey man, I just heard this one album, man, this stuff is the truth. How, you know, and, and they're realizing this is, it's an ongoing issue. It's not just now or, you know, it's been going on for a while. He just spoke of it, you know, during his time. And, you know, this music continues to live on and continues to, you know, influence and, and uplift people, so to speak. The son of the great Curtis Mayfield, Shea Mayfield, with us here on Forward Progress, enjoying this conversation. I, I have a challenge for you. Uh, okay. I know, I know that there are uh, a couple of awards that are significant. You, you've got the Legend Award from the Grammys, Lifetime Achievement Award, but there were eight Grammy nominations of songs from your dad. Which one should have won? If not all of them, in your mind, but I'm giving you one that you get to transition into a victory. Uh, I think. Definitely, uh, Superfly. Yes, sir. Should have uh, should have won the nomination. Okay. Even, even though I wasn't around uh, back then, just you know, hearing, you know, the, the the whole album actually, the whole the composition, it's just it's an excellent piece of work. Just the he took, you know, the message from the movie and kind of turned it around to have a positive spin. Or and and or cautionary tale like messages like hey don't be like these guys because this is what happened and all of those songs are just are are just great so I think Superfly as a matter of fact oh you gotta go get it oh yeah here we go <laughs> nominated for best you brought it up for a motion picture we got the uh, this is the actual plaque that he was given for the. Uh, yeah, for Superfly. Yeah. Uh, run uh, in recognition of nomination for best original score written for motion picture, Superfly, 1972. That's that is an actual plaque That's that was uh, that was given to him. And it's a, a since you brought that up, I, I remembered I had it sitting over there. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I did. And, and Kirk, before I toss it back over to you, uh, there was Freddie's uh, Freddie's Dead nominated twice. Yes, on yes. That same album, right? And then Junkie Case for instance. Yes, yes. Yeah, mercy. Those are awesome. That's a hard hitter. Excellent tunes. Yes, sir. Excellent yeah. tunes. You know, one of the things for me on the NFL side that I work with a lot, Shay, is um, I get a chance now to see some of my close friends, guys who I played with, go into the Hall of Fame. They're inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I've always been taught that when you go into the Hall of Fame, that means that your your music or your play, whatever you did to put you in there, it lives on forever. Like the, yeah. the ghosts and the souls continue. But to think about where your dad was not only inducted into the Hall of Fame as part of a group as part of a solo and then think about some of the albums that he did going into the hall of fame just mm -hmm. for you and you think back like how much does does that kind of show and, and makes the music and the pride for what he stood for sort of live on even much further than people who didn't really get a chance to listen to it at the time i mean those, those albums and going back and then this is another thing that 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 I that just blows me away is the comp the 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 musical compositions and learning learning how he personally worked on on these albums uh, all the way from 1970 to his final album 
1996, which is, I think that the last album, New World Order, was the very first album that I got to actually see him write or complete from beginning to end. And that is like basically like the, the last, you know, the, 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 the final chapter to his, his whole story was that, that final album, which was also nominated for a Grammy back in 1996 or 97. So I think, you know, those, those albums, they say uh, a whole lot. And they also, you know, give you a, a whole story so to speak, of his life from 1970 all the way to 1996. So definitely. Let's take us deeper a little bit into that uh, that particular album that you got to watch go down because it was unlike anything else, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, after his accident. And uh, I think that was that 1990, if I'm not mistaken. 1990, yes. Yeah. Um, he's paralyzed, kept do things the way that he previously wanted to. Um, just if you don't mind sharing with our listeners how he went through the mechanics of producing and performing on an album uh, in, in such a different way. Well, it was a project that I think that my mother had to convince him to, to take on because after the accident, he was, you know, kind of, he was in a tough spot mentally he was a quadriplegic he couldn't move any of his limbs like so from the neck down he was paralyzed and that was and, a stage accident right yeah from yeah, uh, the lighting, lighting had fell on him Jesus. so i mean if you can imagine mentally how it is to the last memory you have is walking on stage and then suddenly you just can't move right. you know he was a, a from my, what i understand from a pretty you know depressed state and she had convinced him to start working again. So with, you know, there are a lot of people that came in to help him sit there and, you know, write lyrics down as they came to his mind, uh, sing melodies with him, and, you know, kind of come up with tracks. And when he, when he actually performed in the studio, they had to, uh, he, he had to lay all the way back on his back, you know, let his chair down. And so, cause he wasn't strong enough to project his voice uh, just sitting up. And he sang each, each one, each line, line, each phrase, line by line. So it was much more time consuming than, you know, your typical artist going in there recording a song, but he had the, you know, the utmost determination to get this done. And, you know, when he did, of course, he was uh, somewhat of a perfectionist. He listened to him over and over again and said, well, you know, let's let, let's try this with this song. Let's do this. And, you know, and the end product was, you know, it was pretty amazing. Like I said, he was nominated for a Grammy Award. Uh, I think best album. I think he was, I think Eric Clapton had won out that year, but just the, the whole accomplishment of what he did, despite the disability was, you know, nothing short of incredible. 
I know one thing I wanted to ask you too is uh, kind of a two-part question. I kind of joked with you before we started, Shay, but um, for me, as a again, the NFL, thinking about that, but I've told you that every time the Cleveland Browns play, and look, Jason is a Browns fan. He got to let you know, okay? He's a Browns <laughs> fan. But every time the Cleveland Browns play right now, their quarterback has a name that for in the black community, I see Mayfield back to pass. I'm not thinking about his name being Baker. I told you, my dad still calls him Curtis Mayfield third. I'm like, why you call him Curtis Mayfield? Hey, because he's going to be Curtis Mayfield. His name ain't Baker to me. <laughs> so, uh, just, and kind of drawing from that inspiration, though, uh, Shay, just I see the keyboard in the background. I see the records in the background. For you, what is music for you now? Like, how do you kind of inject yourself into your style and, and how you listen or how you view music? My music for me, it's, it's a, uh, well, I like to consider myself a hobbyist. So I don't write uh, music. I don't really perform anymore. But, I mean, music... The, the way I, I, I all I do is is play uh, jazz. I love playing jazz. That's one of the things my dad and I had in common. It's one of the things we could sit there and listen to records and and talk about you know for hours and you know who's your favorite because there are these these guys I was I was finding out and I was like this stuff is new to me but he had already heard it so I, I come to him and say hey have you heard of this guy he's oh yeah yeah and he, and we we just sit there and talk. While we listen to records, so for me, it's like it's a very um, pretty, you know, comforting kind of wind down the day type of thing. Where I go and approach uh, music. Of course, I try and uh, I have two daughters who are really they love performing. I'm getting them into music as well, and uh, you know, it's it's, it's always going to be a part of my life, whether I like it or not. But, you know, fortunately, I love doing it. So. <laughs> I got you. I hear you. <laughs> My man. Well, listen, we, we appreciate you. And, and we thank you so much for taking this time. We encourage everyone. Uh, it, it may be 50 years out, but it all plays right now. Check out Roots yes, or uh, there's a place like America today. Uh, Shape, we really appreciate you and the time. We hope you come back some other time and we'll celebrate some more of your dad's music. Pleasure's been mine, guys. It's been great. Excellent. Great. Excellent. But it's great having you here on Forward Progress. Uh, that's going to do it for us. We appreciate uh, Layla Hathaway swinging by as well. The soul music portion of this program has been appreciated by all. <laughs> Without a doubt. Uh, for our producer, Pernell Brown, I'm Jason Jackson. Always a pleasure to be with Kirk Morrison here on Forward Progress. We'll talk to you next time.